Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. MCIE. Do you know what that sound is? It's the sound of a real feel of 105 degrees in Marietta, Georgia. Holy wow, folks. So, to everyone in the Peach State, I hope you find a cool place to hide out. And to be honest, I'm kind of cheating because I'm recording this episode intro in advance. I'll be out of the office when this drops on June 23rd. But just because I may be on vacation doesn't mean we are skimping on content. My name is Tim Viegas, and you are listening to a special remixed episode of Think Inclusive presented by MCIE. This podcast exists to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. To find out more about who we are and what we do, check us out at thinkinclusive.us or on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Today on the pod, we are replaying some clips from our 2020 episode, about including students with intellectual disabilities in general education, our second most listened to episode of all time. But this time around, I'm adding an additional interview with my friends from the Ties Center, Jennifer Summerness and Jessica Bowman. Now, if you don't know, the Ties Center is the National Technical Assistance Center on Inclusive Practices and Policies. It works with states, districts, and schools to support the movement of students with disabilities from less inclusive to more inclusive environments. TIES is funded through a federal grant from the Office of Special Education Programs, or OSEP. I invited Jennifer and Jessica to share some stories of students with extensive support needs that were included in general education and reflect on their journey to becoming supporters and promoters of inclusive education. 
In the original episode from 2020, I had my friend and former colleague Juanita Pritchard come on the podcast and talk about strategies for teachers who had students with intellectual disabilities in their classrooms. So we'll start with that conversation. Here is Juanita talking about how prevalent inclusion was when she first started teaching in 1977. Well, initially it grew because I started teaching in 1977, which was the first year of public law, 94-142. So I've seen a lot of trends Mm -hmm. uh, come and go through the years. And so initially there was never any inclusion. So I did see it grow. uh, But in the last um, maybe five to 10 years, I've seen it stay pretty stable. Um, it, It hasn't really grown the way I thought it would. One of the things that has always fascinated me is why after all of the initial money and momentum for inclusive education in the 1990s and early 2000s, did it slow down? Well, I think um, over the last 10 years, we had a huge uh, economic downfall. And I think that had a pretty big impact in that school systems could not... um, couldn't provide the physical support, the staff to support inclusion. Um, I think some of the grants that initially were supportive dried up. I think I think the economics had a, a big impact. But I also think at the same time, we've had a bigger focus on standardized testing um, for the gen ed students as well as the special ed students. Um, and I think those two things combined have really impacted um, some of the more innovative projects. So where do we go from here? Let's just say that the economy is part of the equation for why school districts don't pursue inclusive practices, even if it is just a perception. What is the next step? Is it all up to the families? That's where, the, that's where it's going to happen, is if parents come together and say, this is what we think is the best thing for our students, for our children, then I think it will happen. I don't think at this point in time it's going to come from the educational program itself. Okay, so let's talk strategies. I asked Juanita, imagine a general education or special education co-teacher was just told that a student with intellectual disabilities will be in their class for the fall. What do they do first? Um, Well, I think the very first thing that a teacher has to do is know what the expectations are. Um, what is it that, that the educational team wants that student to accomplish? And then after knowing expectations? And usually, my experience with a student with intellectual disabilities in a, in a gen ed classroom, the teachers don't understand how it can look different for that student. They want somehow to make it the same as everybody else. So the first step is what's going to be different for this student? Um, do they need visual support? Um, if we're going to learn 10 states, maybe they're going to learn one. Uh, there has It has to be okay for it to look different, and then it has to be how does that look. That's the first place to start. Mm-hmm. After um, the other thing, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was the other thing is that in general, students with intellectual disabilities often have communication issues of some kind. Even if they're verbal, their communication skills are below their peers. 
And so that has to be factored in uh, to instruction. Um, they're not just going to miraculously one day come in and, and, you know, be answering questions in full sentences. There has to be that support. And I think that gen ed teachers, because they don't have training in that area, um, that's where they probably need a lot of support. And, you know, hopefully the speech therapist would be someone who could help um, with those issues. As I was listening back to this interview, I was reminded of the advice Juanita gave teachers about adapting materials. And one of the ideas was about creating a response templates. Now, this was something I used to do when I was including students from my segregated special education classroom in general education. Here is Juanita. Well, usually when I'm working with a teacher in that situation, I recommend that they come up with, um, I call them templates, um, some way that you want to present the material and have the student respond. Um, and if you can come up with three to five templates, um, maybe for an example, I might show the student a picture and have him pick out sentence strips that describe the picture. And if that template works for that student, then every new concept that I do, I will do that template with that student. So that if you have three to five, you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. You can just plug your gen ed student material into that template, and that gives the student plenty of repetition, and it cuts down on the amount of work the teacher has to do in providing material. Sure. So you have a, so you, it's like a response template, right? You have, yeah. okay. So, so you are giving the structure to how you want the student to respond to the content. And then you, you deliver the content that way. And then the student learns the structure so that no matter what content you put in, the, the student has, a, um, doesn't have to come up with new ways of, accessing the content. It's just, it's just there. Absolutely. And that research shows us that that benefits the student, but it also greatly can benefit the teacher in cutting down, uh, you know, the amount of time they have to spend in adapting materials. If you want to hear the entire original episode with Juanita, I'll put that link in the show notes. Have I thanked you yet for listening? One of my great joys is producing this podcast for you, like-minded people who genuinely want to move inclusive education forward in their schools and districts. Thank you for listening, rating, and subscribing to Think Inclusive. And now, my interview with Jennifer Summerness and Jessica Bowman of the Thai Center. I'm Jennifer Summerness, and I'm a researcher at the Thai Center. And I'm Jessica Bowman, and I'm also a researcher at, at the Ties Center, um, which is at the University of Minnesota, where the National Technical Assistance Center for Inclusive Practices and Policies. Was there a time where you weren't sure how to include students, um, and what was that like? I was really lucky in that I had um, a student teaching experience in an inclusive school. Uh, so it was incredible. Like they had a self-contained classroom ish, but it kind of served more as like a touchdown space than anything. Um, 
but kids were largely in their gen ed classrooms uh, for the majority of the day. And it was just neat to kind of see, like, what does this look like? How does it work? Um, Gen ed teachers would send her lesson plans and worksheets that she would then, you know, add pictures to or whatever. Um, Was it perfect? No. Um, But it was kind of a realistic vision of what it looked like. So that was really neat for me. But when I thought about this question, um, I would say that, there is, there's a lot of times that I'm not sure hmm. about how to include a kid in, in general education. Um, but I think there's a willingness and a curiosity in me that's always like, well, let's find out. Let's, let, let, let's try this and see how this works. And for me, when I was thinking of the question of, you know, is there a time that I wasn't sure I think to Jessica's point that there's a willingness and curiosity, but I also was never um, in a position of not having it look that way or the expectation of it was always there to have it look that way. Um, I was actually pre-med and wasn't even thinking about education at the time that I worked what I now know as a paraprofessional, but then I just took the job because it was close to my apartment and it was a summer job and I was supporting twins with autism who um, you were fully included in a preschool classroom. So for me, it was just how that looked that I didn't know any different and it was really great. And um, I actually had one elective in, <laughs> in the whole course of my pre-med experience that I was saving for this one class that everybody in Madison loved. And instead of taking that class, I took intro to disabilities with Lou Brown. And that's been the change that just, you know, that that was the shift for me. Um, and if anybody knows about him, you know that it's just over, under, around, or through. You figure out how to include kids. And so, you know, my entry point into it was this is a social justice issue. This is what people should have in their life and this is how you figure it out and so I'm more of a jump into the deep end of the pool than most people are comfortable with sometimes but um, it is definitely a, a get in there and just figure it out with one another and I think I think the teachers when they put their heads together and have the time and space to do it which is the hugely important part is having having the time to think together that they'll figure any of it out. What helped you understand like what inclusive education really meant for students with complex support needs? Um, I can start with this one. So when I got hired on as a teacher, the school that I was at was not an inclusive school. Kids were kind of in and out of gen ed classrooms, but it, it wasn't, you know, part of their, their culture, their mission, their vision. Um, and so as I kind of, went through all the things that first year teachers go through, you know, it's kind of a wreck. You feel a wreck. You work is really hard. And that's, it doesn't really matter what kind of teacher or what, what kids you're working with. It just kind of is the reality. Um, So most kids were in, you know, in the self-contained classroom at first. um, And I just kept noticing like, 
kids meeting the expectations as far as like standards based instruction, you know, when I would bring in, when a kid was learning, you know, math and they got the counting and the adding and subtracting and, you know, and then it came time to work on fractions. And I was like, Oh, I just, I don't know about this fifth grader learning this, you know? And then I would say, well, you know, I should still teach it and see how it goes, you know? And then I would teach it and they would learn it. And so it was kind of like that addressing that bias in my own mind. And so I think I just saw like when I raised my expectation, like kids met that expectation. And then as I saw kids and planned for kids to be more and more included in gen ed, um, you know, I saw them develop friendships and uh, participating in lessons and changing how Jenna teachers were delivering instruction so that it could be more accessible to all kids. And um, I think that that was the, the slow turning point for me in like not only seeing like what kids could do, you know, addressing my own bias and my own ableism in a, in a way um, to then also like seeing what they have to offer to their peers and what their peers have to offer to them uh, is just such a, a huge, was such a huge piece of it for me. Being certified in general education as well. Did that, did that change um, maybe how you approached instruction because you had maybe a more well-rounded like training? Yeah, um, for sure. Because I knew what the kids were learning in gen ed, you know? And so I came in and didn't have all the curriculum, all the teacher's guides and logins and stuff like that. But I knew who to ask for those things. And, um, you know, I think I came in and was like, hey, I don't have a math book for second grade. Can someone, you know, I was like, oh, you don't? You know, I was like, they knew I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) But like facing that expectation of like, this is my job to make sure that these kids have access to, to the general education standards. And I can't do that if you're not providing these materials to me. Um, And that kind of served as that first step of like, um, just setting the expectation and, you know, kids are going to have access and they're going to make progress. Um, and also then leading me to, wow, I have kids in grades K through six, 10 of them, you know, and I can't do all, all like, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, I have kindergartners who are just learning the routines of school. And then I have fifth graders who are, you know, like, they're in their own space needing lots of higher level instruction and it's just impossible to plan and deliver that even with paras in your class. And so that's what really led me to be like, uh, yeah, this isn't going to work. Um, let's send these kids over to these kindergarten classes. This kid's going over to fifth grade. And, um, again, like I said, with my student teaching, like it wasn't perfect, but we kind of pieced it together and, uh, with very little support or, you know, from the district or from my principal, you know, I think, <laughs> I think we did what we could, you know, and yeah, it ended up, um, you know, it was, 
it was just a great learning experience for me and um and I think for the Jenna teachers too and just our whole school For the remix of this episode, I wanted to make sure to include some stories of students with extensive support needs that were included in general education. Here is Jennifer telling a story about a student named Gage. I think one of my favorite stories is um, is Gage, and he uh, is a young man who uh, had some really significant behavioral challenges over the course of five years that he would he would be in a classroom for like an, an hour a day would spend an hour in this room that basically had like a, a table and two chairs one for him and one for his teacher and um and nothing else because he you know was known to kind of you know turn things over or kind of um have a tough time in spaces that had too much in it and things like that we were able to get him to his home school um and within two weeks of him attending half day for the first two weeks, and then within a month, he was full days um, and included in, in gen ed. They so t- the, the transition back to um, the class that he would, he would have attended um, normally, uh, it wasn't because he had met some sort of criteria, right? It was just the, right. like you and the family decided like, we're going to advocate for him to be moved back, right? Yep. Yep. It was absolutely just, you know, this thinking around, you know, having him go where his brothers, sisters, neighbors, and friends would be. And that that was the basis, you know, like, let's start there and create this community around him that he hadn't been a part of since kindergarten. Um, Because first through sixth grade, he was at this other building. And it was interesting because the first day that he came back, he came to school wearing a tie and, you know, all this stuff and, and walked in the, the building that first day. And during lunch, there was a group of, of kids who knew him from kindergarten that asked him to come and sit at their lunch table with him, you know, and it just, it was just that easy, you know, that they, they wondered where he was this whole time, you know, like, where have you been? And, and that was pretty cool. So and he actually, he, he and I, we went to, uh, we went to Tash, actually. It was the first time he had been on a plane. Um, and that was a little over a year after he had gone back to his home school. Um, we went to Tash together to present what success looked like is, is what our, uh, our presentation was. And it's so awesome because he, at the end, the last slide is, you know, is him talking about, you know, if you want to know what success looks like, it looks like me, you know, and it's just, it's so cool. And he wants to be a motivational speaker. So I'll put that out there too. If anybody wants Gage to come and talk about how he did it, he's happy to do that. (laughs) Uh, We need to have him. We need to have him on the, uh, the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We we need more, um, we need more voices of, of the the kids who have been included. Yeah, I think that would be very powerful. And I is, and I think great. and yeah. I I think for him, I mean, the biggest piece I think was too that 
not only for him to to know that he could do it and and have more experience with success that way, but for for the adults to understand that it's not just academics that kids are there for. You know, like that was a huge piece of it. It's like we'd sit in conversation during meetings around, you know, like before the school year would start or whatever, you know, we'd have that kind of that pre-meeting. And I would explain to teachers or we'd have conversations about, okay, so this year we're hoping that he stays the whole time. Like, how are we going to get him to like tolerate being in the classroom? You know, because we started with that, that it was like he wouldn't even sit there, you know, for, for very long. And, you know, it's just been like, what do we need to do to make sure that he knows that he's welcome here, that he belongs here, that, you know, if he leaves for a minute, he can come back and not be embarrassed, you know, like if he needs a break that he can go take it, you know, and, and just for the adults to, to know how to create that, that place for him too. And, um, and it wasn't perfect at all, you know, at first, it's not like we just like, you know, brought him home and all of a sudden these things just ironed themselves out. It was a constant tending of, okay, where are we at and where do we want to go? What's the next step? And, you know, and, and also at the same time, having him be a part of the conversation of, okay, what's feeling good to you right now? What's not, you know, if he's going to swear a blue streak at someone, you know, or just in general about life, you know, like he, he had patches of time where that would happen. And the funny thing is living in Minnesota, <laughs> one of the things they came up with in the winter was okay. Like, cause we knew that he didn't have to all the time <laughs> to the degree that he was. And so the rule was that you can, but you have to go stand in between the double doors where it's quite cold and you can swear all you want there, but you can't do it in the classroom anymore. And so that was short lived when it's like 40 below, like you didn't want to stand there much, you know, <laughs> there were tricks like that where it's like, yeah, if you're going to do it, you get to stand right there and do it. You know, <laughs> they were, they were pretty creative, but. <laughs> um. Okay, so uh, Jessica, I'd love to hear your story. Um, so I was a student named Jayla, and I I knew her from when she was in third grade until fifth grade. Um, and she was just this sassy kid who was always ready to um, to just talk with other girls and seek out friendships and. Um, you know, she certainly had a significant disability, um, but just happened to be one of those kids who's just super social and um, she loved to dance. And and so that was really fun. She had her little kind of um, group of girls who she sought out in, in her gen ed classes. And um, yeah, it was just really fun to kind of watch her blossom from seeing her in you know, our self-contained class, which is mostly boys, you know, mm -hmm. many of them not very verbal, um, to then like, oh, Jayla is now in, in gen ed most of the time. And there's girls in there that, uh, look like her cause she's, cause she's black, you know, and there's, uh, girls who have, that are interested in the same stuff and dancing and singing and watching the same TV shows. And, you know, and so there were just, people that just represented her and who kind of had the same, you know, uh, the same, the same interests as, as she did. Uh, and <laughs> one of the funniest stories, and it also involves swearing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I took her to, 
she, well, she so in fourth grade, all the fourth graders in the school at, every year would go to this camp. And it was like a camp for Title I schools for fourth graders. And um, they would do all the kind of normal campy things like campfires and ropes courses and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And um, I went and supported Jayla and another student to go with it with their fourth grade classrooms. And, <laughs> and Jayla just had a great time. I mean, she just was so excited to be in this like set this place and she was in a cabin by herself like with no like I wasn't in the cabin with her she was just in the cabin with other kids you know and um it was just a really beautiful picture of like what can happen when there's kids who know you and if you need support in the middle of the night you can't find the bathroom or whatever I don't have to worry because I knew that Jayla was among friends you know who were going to help her out if she needed and you know, was it a huge risk? Absolutely. Like it was a huge risk. Um, but I think that's what was so like thrilling about it for her. Um, and there was one, there was the group of girls that she was with had gotten in trouble because they were swearing about something, um, or they had said a swear word. I wasn't around. And so I don't quite know, (laughs) but, uh, Jayla, she, she would often talk to herself out loud and um, I could tell it was something that her mom had previously had to tell her, like, you don't say these words, um, you know, or you don't say them in front of other people type of thing. And Jayla, (laughs) I kind of walked over as I noticed the other girls, you know, kind of getting in trouble with one of the other teachers and Jayla points at herself and she goes, Jayla, don't say, and then she said the, the <laughs> F word. <laughs> so it was just, I mean, it just has stuck in my head this whole time, you know, that Jayla is like with this group of girls that she spent, you know, she spent the night with them in this cabin and now she's like being included in the swearing, you know, and <laughs> Right. Included in getting in trouble. You know, and doesn't want to get in trouble, but she wants to be part of the group. And, you know, so it was just kind of a neat. um, (laughs) She was just, you know, an incredible kid to go through that journey with and just see how she just blossomed so much in that environment. We've talked almost for an hour and I haven't heard anyone say anything about like adapting curriculum. I I was just going to say, do you want one of those stories? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, we can't like, we absolutely can. And we probably should, uh, because, um, I think, I think maybe that's what most people think, you know, when there's the, the topic of, including students with complex support needs in general education. I think most people think about, well, how do I adapt this, this uh, lesson to whatever, whatever the student needs. Um, but I'm just kind of putting in the reflection out there. So either, I mean, you can comment it or comment on it or not, but um, I find it really interesting um, 
that most of the time when I'm talking with other teachers about including students, it doesn't have anything to do with adapting curriculum. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because I think um, as Jessica was talking about her story too, it made me think like, you know, is it, it's the curriculum and, or will listeners be, you know, um, thinking about the kids with the most extensive support needs? Like you can't mean them, you know? So it's, mm. it's that piece too. Like, I think the behavior piece, that's like, that's why Gage's story resonates with me is that like, for five years, if he's only accessing the building an hour a day, that's pretty significant to go from that to, to being fully included. And most people would go, oh, yeah, that's big, you know. But I think that the other piece of it is like without that behavior piece, like if you have kids who have really extensive needs, what does that actually look like? You know, and so parts of that were um, other stories that that are coming to my mind um, too, and part of it is academic. One one is a young man who was transition age. Um, actually, he wasn't quite in transition, but he he was um, out in the community and and naturally supported an integrated work environment by learning to use a head switch. You know, and um, he's one of my favorite stories. You know, and how the uh, because and that too is like based on what he loves he loved animals and, and we knew that he did only because if there was a picture of an animal um, we actually hooked it up to a slide projector and we'd have slides this is dating myself that there were slides in a projector that you would put <laughs> in the, you know in in the right. wheel right um, but we hooked that up to a switch and just taught cause and effect and we taught him cause and effect all day long you know of of blending his own food and you know like all these different things of you know anything you can hook up electronically you can plug into a switch and and teaching him to use it um and we knew that animals was one of his favorite things because he would just like his whole body would tense up um and otherwise like he he didn't have use of words and he you know physically was had uh, really profound disabilities and was one of the students that I taught my very first semester after um, after finishing my teaching degree was this classroom and it was in Madison in a high school and there were 10, 10 kids in my class 40 total in the school that were bused there every single day um, from the last remaining institution in Wisconsin and so these all, all 40 of these kids would come like, you know, in these big, huge buses um, to the school. And again, Lou put me there. Like literally I told Jessica that story before we got on today too, but so it's in my mind. Um, but it was like, you know, go, go do something here. You know, and there's an opportunity to go and include these kids too. And so that, as we were talking, it's like, helping people see that as well. Like, you know, by, by teaching him to use a switch, like that long game of that, you know, and hooking him up to a switch every day, all day to all these different things to just teach cause effect, cause effect. By the end of that year, he was working at a, a pet store is where we, we got him a job in a pet store. And it was just this little locally owned one and you know we'd talk to the talk to the pet store owner about what the value would be for Kurt to be there and 
you know, how we thought it would help his community too. And, you know, would he be willing to try and that there would be an adult paraprofessional with him to do all the things, but, and slowly having that pet store owner come to the realization that he could be supporting Kurt just as easily as the paraprofessional could teaching him the different things. And he would just hook up a water pump to his switch. And, you know, the pet store owner would put the tube into the water containers of all the different cages and Kurt would turn them off and on and, and pump all the water. And pretty soon community members knew who he was and they'd come in and say hi and they'd want to see the animals, but they'd want to say hi to Kurt. And it's just a really beautiful thing, you know? Um, so I think that's the piece of it is that how, how do we make sure that people are thinking about kids who really are that, you know, um, that kid that up until now people are saying, yeah, but not that kid. No, that kid too. Like, you know, so there's no reason not to have someone in a gen ed class using a switch, you know, or the equivalent of a switch or having them be able to communicate, you know, like being able to, to have a device that they can, you know, whether it's just a touch of a finger or, you know, whatever it is that that's the pressure point for them to be able to, to, um, to influence things around them, to, to be able to like have a bell go off and people come over and say hi or whatever it is, you know, or maybe it's a voice activated thing that says, you know, I, I need something or, you know, whatever it is that's a priority for the family too. Um, it's just, it's just so powerful because those are the things that can make such huge differences for kids. But I don't know, as, as you were saying that about instruction, that was one that I was thinking too, is like, not only instruction, but also like thinking about kids who really have extensive needs. Like we could, we could talk about that too. Like what that can look like with instruction for that, mm -hmm. for that matter. <laughs> Jessica and I can roll out some of those examples. <laughs> did you have, um, did you have a specific thing in mind with instruction, Jessica? Probably more of a re reflection. I think, mm -hmm. Like you said, it is the topic that everyone thinks they need, you know, need to learn. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of districts, you know, put out professional learning for special ed teachers on like, what are the standards? And like, how do we teach the standards to students with disabilities? And, you know, just completely kind of ignoring the fact that like, well, you have these people in your building called general education teachers, and they're like they're kind of experts, like not just in the standards, but like in the grade level that they teach, you know, often they teach it for year after year after year, um, or they've taught the grade before, you know, so they, they have a really good grasp on these things. Um, and, and so I, I find a lot of those kind of efforts like really misguided um, because it's just completely ignoring and discounting the value of teachers working together, um, sharing their expertise and kids being included in gen ed. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, as far as adapting and modifying work and kind of speaking to Jen's point about, you know, for kids with the most extensive needs, I think it comes down to giving kids the opportunity to learn and having that, that positive assumption and those high expectations that they can learn 
um, and putting the responsibility on yourself as the teacher or on your teaching team as, you know, if a kid's not learning, well, then we need to look back at ourselves and see why that is and what we, how we can support them. So whether that's using visuals or using, um, a switch or, you know, just any one of the supports that we know work, um, for kids with more significant disabilities. Um, I think that's kind of the skill and the disposition is, um, just being ready and willing to put that responsibility on yourself for the child's learning and not on them. Because once you have that, you figure it out, you know, you learn all the things, but it's not just a, a cut and dry formula, I guess, if you don't already have that kind of value and frame of mind. Our culture in the United States is very much like around people with disabilities is very much like you want to help and protect and make sure they're, they're safe. And, and so that's another just way that, you know, in an effort to be uh, kind of this good person and to um, do the right things on behalf of students with disabilities, you know, I think it leads um instructional teams, special education teachers, general education teachers, parents, you know, to make these decisions that seem safest for the child. And, and, you know, I think like I had talked earlier about risk and not allowing there to be risk, you know, ensuring safety, ensuring that they're not being bullied, ensuring um, that they don't feel like they are not as smart as other kids or whatever it is. Um, it also is just something that, that holds the system back in including kids, you know, and, and that's not a teacher problem. That's a society problem, you know, so we're not even talking about education systems at this point. Like we're talking like just our culture and that is a hard one because people want to do the right thing, you know? And so they think if they keep kids safe, you know, or, or, or keep kids um, protected or keep kids away from the risk that come with being in a gen ed classroom, that that's an honorable thing. Hmm. Yeah. That's hard to push against. Mm-hmm. Super hard, you know, and yeah, and no, I mean, I've I've met special education teachers that that think that way. You know, it's not just a society thing, but oh, yeah, know, maybe it's um, special education teachers take a lot of pride. Often, M- many special educators do take a lot of pride, and yeah. you know that they can create this safe space and safe environment um, with good challenges and appropriate. Um, appropriately challenging academic tasks and, you know, things like that. So I just find it really interesting to think about like how, how to create spaces that like the people who do have those pivot points or do have that learning that they're bringing to it, like how do we get it so that they can share that expertise? And if they were to leave the systems that we're creating, how do we make sure it doesn't go away with them? 
you know, so that it's not dependent on people coming in and, and either being willing or able or knowing all, all of it, you know, like it's, I, I think that that's the strength of the systems part is, is just figuring out who needs to be at the table so that it can, you know, be those kids too, you know, each and every, and actually mean it and not go away if, if individuals who believe in that or that have the experience with that, if they go away, where, where does that go? And so, again, I think that's the exciting part about Ty's work too, you know, is that we're trying to figure that out. That will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive podcast. A couple of resources that Jennifer and Jessica wanted to highlight from the Thai Center are the 51545 tool and a document called Comprehensive Inclusive Education, General Education, and the Inclusive IEP, both of which will be linked in the show notes. The 51545 tool gives educators options for how to spend collaboration time, whether you have 5, 15, or 45 minutes to plan. It's a neat tool that you should definitely check out. The Comprehensive Inclusive Education, General Education, and the Inclusive IEP resource is intended to guide IEP teams in a comprehensive inclusive education planning process based on the expectation that each student can actively participate, belong, contribute, and learn in the school and larger community. When I was talking with Jennifer and Jessica, this was the resource they were the most excited to share with everyone. For more information, visit tiescenter.org. That's T-I-E-S-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a question or comment? Email us your feedback at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at MCIE.org. We will be back in a couple of weeks for the start of a new season of Think Inclusive. Season 10. We are in double digits, baby. Thanks for your time and attention and for listening. Until next time, remember... Inclusion always works. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.